0: I just want to introduce you, James. <laughs> that's good. What a <laughs> love that. Love a bit of love a bit of that. Um, that's good. So we're. Uh, it's really great to to have James uh, speak today. Um, I'm, I'll let I'll let him do all the speaking about what he's going to talk about. But what we're um, what we've been doing across January is uh, looking about part of our vision. You know, this bit. What is it? to follow Jesus. You know, we we talk about encountering Jesus and following him, but what does that actually mean? What does that look like? And uh so um it's great that James is gonna talk about that from, from his experience from his his perspective and what goes on. So over to you. What doing um <laughs> it's, it's it's very funny because you'd think uh first time doing this would sort of be like your, your first day at school. You sort of have your pens and your paper and your school bag at the door, um, but my morning actually ended up at the the university library, um, having to print all this off. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for coming. Um, <laughs> this is uh, yeah, great opportunity. Um, I kind of I was just thinking to myself as we were sitting there, it's almost like asking your friends to come and watch you at your first swimming lesson. Uh, <laughs> not really sure which way it's gonna go. Um, but on like honestly, the people who have come out, who are my friends, like I'm so touched and so grateful for you all. Like I really, really do appreciate you coming out, um, and yeah, and also to my family coming all the way from Northern Ireland, and my auntie from Glasgow. Um, yeah, like I I'm standing here really because I'm I'm a massive byproduct of them. Um, I couldn't really have asked to be brought up in a more loving home uh, and with a more loving family and yeah to my church family to my boys on the deck this morning <laughs> Um yeah uh, this is yeah amazing and to Ben and Kate thank you so much for the opportunity to speak Um if you guys haven't met Ben and Kate yet you really have to because they have just loved and championed me since you know, the first day I walked in here probably a year and a half ago. Um we're we're just so grateful for you too. Letting someone like me uh <laughs> in front of the mic not knowing what I'm gonna say. <laughs> um and yeah, it also if you haven't heard their story, it's unbelievable. So I think on behalf of all the church we're super grateful for how you left Leeds, left everything you knew, uh to follow God's call in your life. Um and I'm just yeah, I'm one of the few who've been very blessed. So thank you. Um, yeah, as you can see to to my right and to behind me, the, the vision for the church that Ben and Kate have sort of set is encountering Jesus, following him to love, serve, and give life to the city. Um, so today I've been asked um, to basically just share my story, um, how I have encountered Jesus, and how choosing to follow him shapes my life today, tomorrow, and in the future so i, I thought i'd I'd go back a little bit uh go back <coughs> ten years or so uh I don't know about you, but in the build up to sort of new year and the new decade, I saw a lot of ten year challenges or um yeah so i thought <laughs> I thought I'd share a few that I saw in the church this um so thank you to fee and mark for for sharing theirs um I think Mark used to think he was a worship leader, and <laughs> fee loved Jack wills <laughs> um so th- that's them. So I thought I would show show my own transformation. So <laughs> That's this is me 10 years ago. Uh I think <laughs> this is this is probably when uh, Abercrombie was cool. Popping your collar was cool. Um and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh I told you that that my family loved me. Um I'd say, from probably the age of six, they loved me so much that <laughs> whenever the children's menu came, they gave me the adults' menu instead. <laughs> and that, that, that was love. honestly, food, <coughs> food, food made me so happy. Um, any form of phys- you, you, you think this is a joke, but it's not uh, any form of physical exercise <laughs> had to be coupled with something sweet. So any walk I did i had to have an ice not like actually not just an ice cream at the end of it i had to have an I- ice cream sunday um so imagine if i'd kept that up until now um but yeah as much as i think and you probably all agree that i've hopefully transformed a little bit on the outside um honestly like the biggest the biggest transformation i've experienced um over the last decade is probably under the surface um the, the reason why i find this is so funny is because if you told me at that age or even just a few years ago that I'd be standing here speaking in my church about my faith with my family and my friends. I'd have been like absolutely no chance Um, because probably for the most of the last decade if someone had asked, are you a Christian? I would have been very embarrassed. Um, I still remember very vividly uh, being in the technology workshop. I was probably making something like a, you've probably all done it, like a, a clock or a Christmas decoration out of plywood. um. And as I'm just there standing, sawing away, uh, one of my friends looked across the table. and he, he must have maybe known that I went to church or something and he said, James, you're not a Christian, are you? And honestly, like, <laughs> my face just explodes, bright red, sweaty palms. Uh, I thought my cover had been blown, so... I, I I vaguely remember saying something like, yes, but let's not talk about it. Because to me, being a Christian was something that you wouldn't share. It was just something that mattered at the end of your life. It was a one-way ticket. I'd reduced it to something that would simply get me into heaven. You would say a prayer. You got a ticket on the grounds that you went to church and kept the rules. So until I got there, heaven, that is, I just had to hold on to my ticket until I made it. And now I realize that my my thinking was all wrong. I assume most of you have seen or read the the story of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, It may have been a while, and for anyone who hasn't, uh, I'll quickly rejog your memory in a quick synopsis of the story. But Willy Wonka, the eccentric owner of the greatest chocolate factory in the world, decides to open the doors of his factory to five lucky children and their parents. In order to choose who will enter the factory, Willy Wonka devises a plan to hide five golden tickets beneath the wrappers of his famous chocolate bars. The search for the five gold tickets is fast and furious. How could we, how could we forget Augustus Gloop? A rather large young boy whose only hobby was eating unwraps the first ticket for which his town throws him a parade. Veruca Salt, who was an extremely spoiled child, receives the next ticket from her father, who had employed his entire factory of peanut shellers to unwrap chocolate bars until they found a ticket. And then the third one, Violet, I I honestly, I I struggle to pronounce her surname, so I'll, yeah, even in a children's book. (laughs) Um, But she discovers the third ticket while taking a break from setting the world record for chewing gum. And the fourth ticket goes to Mike TV, who, as his name implies, cares only about television. Finally, Charlie, the unsuspecting hero of the book, defies all odds in claiming the final ticket. Once a year on his birthday, Charlie would get one bar of Wonka chocolate, which he savours over many months. Charlie spots a raggedy dollar bill buried in the snow. He decides to use a little of the money to buy himself some chocolate and within the wrapping finds the fifth golden ticket now once in the factory the children are succumbed to their own character flaws accordingly they are ejected from the factory in mysterious and painful fashions augustus gloop falls into the hot chocolate river despite Willy wonka pleading with him to stop drinking from the river next violet Hastily grabs a piece of gum and chews herself into a giant blueberry after being warned that the gum had not been perfected yet. Then, upon arriving at the nut room, Willy Wonka tells everyone to look inside but not to enter or disturb the squirrels. Veruca, Salt, demands one of Willy Wonka's trained squirrels. Mr. Salt makes uh, makes an offer for the squirrel, but they're not for sale. So, in her haste, Veruca rushes into the room to grab one and is quickly thrown out with the trash by the squirrels for being a bad nut. And finally, with the hope of being on television, Mike TV shrinks himself despite the obvious danger. So the only one left at the end of the tour was Charlie. Charlie got the ticket, stuck to the rolls and won the prize, which ended up being the entire chocolate factory. And before you say I'm I'm actually I'm not going to compare myself to Augustus gloop <laughs> but actually I believe I was like like a charlie not only that but my mindset to life and my philosophy was like a tour of the chocolate factory again not making it about my love for food see I thought that being a christian with this ticket in hand that I was talking about by keeping the rules I would be left standing at the end and then the prize was mine. People would come and go, much like the rest of the kids in the story, but not me. See, I hated getting in trouble, so I was very good at keeping the rules. And to add to this, I thought that I had a very good judgment of what was right and wrong. I knew the things that I wasn't supposed to do, so I just had to keep it up. The whole thing was in my hands, I just had to hold on, and as a result, I took a lot of pride in that. But this is when Charlie and I part ways because, see, Charlie only spent one day in the chocolate factory and, to be fair to him, he did pretty well um, to be the only one standing at the end of the day. But a ho- I had a whole life of rules to upkeep. And as you get older, new challenges present themselves. Things definitely got a lot more difficult. Um, there's me trying to hold on. My little ticket in hand, uh, trying not to get side, sidetracked, um, making sure that I do enough to be standing at the end. And then, when you're in your mid-teens, it's almost like a like a big train comes and hits you. <laughs> all the all all sorts of things that are pulling you and, and pushing you in different directions. Um, and I found that this is where like the real discrepancy took place in my life. See. I took pride in taking and keeping all the rules. So when I was asked to do something I thought was wrong, instead of saying no, I would I'd actually just lie instead. So by very definition, by trying to keep the rules, I was breaking the rules at the same time. But I, it looked good on the outside because I was saying no. When the boys would be like at my school, Yo Jimbo, you coming to this party? We're gonna get blocked. I'd be like, um, no, no, uh, I've I think I've got a family function this weekend, or uh, I think I've uh, and another stable one was um, so I'm seeing my mates from another school, because um, my Christian life told me that I shouldn't I shouldn't be at the party, I shouldn't drink, but these lames these lame excuses just continued for years, and never ever ever did I give my friends a real reason. And this is when I, d- I remember the times where it felt like too much. It was too difficult. This whole idea of why am I doing this? Um, why am I choosing to miss out on something that I don't even know if it even exists? I don't even know if heaven is real. Um, because my only experience of faith was probably through and uh, through the people around me. And in my heart, there was literally just nothing. Nothing going on. Um, And it's funny because I actually, I knew and I take comfort in that I probably wasn't alone in this. Um, Because when I had this crazy, crazy sort of transformation year where I actually started reading the Bible. um, It's funny that like, it seems crazy, but um, I thought I knew all the stories, but actually probably had never taken the time to read the Bible. Um, And in the Bible, we have four accounts of Jesus' life. These four accounts make up the first four books in the New Testament, and you probably would know they're called the Gospels. Um written by and named after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I wanna I wanna share a story, an account from Mark, about a guy who was called the rich young ruler, who I think was just like me. I guess I'm young, but I'm <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm I'm rich or a ruler. Um but yeah, this story. This same encounter between Jesus and the rich young ruler is found in Matthew and Luke and Mark. So all three writers thought there was something of notable that took place and it was worth documenting in the hope that we could take something away. So here it is. I hope this is just about big enough. Yeah. Mark ten seventeen to 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You knew the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. See, Certain members of the religious religious community taught that rich people were the most likely to inherit eternal life. This was because they believed that the prosperity they had was thought to be God's approval of them. Also, there was great emphasis by being put, uh, there was great emphasis put on keeping the law. Again, this was enforced by the religious people. And the most religious were a group known as the Pharisees. There was the law, the Ten Commandments, which most people will still acknowledge as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your father and mother, etc. But then there was also hundreds of extra laws added to help them keep the first Ten Commandments, which sounds pretty tough work. Scholars believe that the rich young ruler was possibly one of these ultra-religious men, a Pharisee, because of the way he explains the law and how he understands the law, and also because of his great wealth. So in those days, this rich and religious young man checked out. He ticked every single box. He seemed set on his way with his ticket heading for eternal life. But Jesus in their interaction completely dismisses that notion. In if you can see verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. This uh, this was probably the thing that highlights me most as I as I read this, and probably what I found the most most interesting. Like what what actually drove this man to run up to Jesus and to fall at his knees? See, I actually think I know how that feels. Because a life of ticking boxes is completely empty. For a while it's okay. You're constantly weighing every good deed on your on your lever scales, making sure that the good outweighs the bad. And then you feel good about yourself. You feel good about doing it. But then actually it gets really, really difficult. Upkeeping, this outward appearance of perfection, it's tough um a life of trying to obey the law is exhausting actually i came to learn very very quickly it's impossible so the man in this encounter becomes desperate i think he's desperate the life he has been dedicated to he knows he can't keep it up any longer he knows the emptiness that it brought him so this reduces him to run and to fall at the knees At the feet of the guy, he's hearing these whispers and these stories about. Have you heard of this man they call Jesus? He's healing people. The blind are actually seeing and the lame are walking. He's walking on water. He's turning water into wine. And whilst he's doing it, he's hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. People are saying this could be the Messiah. I think... The rich young ruler is starting to doubt his eternal life. Because why else would he ask the question, what must I do? And if he knows, and he oh, and knows if it's going to be any more. If, oh no, here we go. I'll start again. Uh, yeah, he's asking the question, what must I do? And he knows if it's going to be anyone. He's heard the stories that it's going to be the, this guy, Jesus. Jesus will be the one who will reassure him and tell him that he's done enough. But like I said, just Jesus in this interaction completely dismisses everything. And instead, the words he spoke next was my greatest revelation probably four years ago, which subsequently changed my life. shapes my thinking and has flipped everything upside down and inside out. Jesus' invitation isn't a ticket. It never was. It's an outstretched hand and an invitation follow me. See, Jesus is after our hearts and not rules. Rules box things and people in. Jesus asks for all of us. He doesn't expect me to keep a perfect life. He knows my design and he knows. Um, sorry I just lost my place yes he knows my design and he knows that I'm not capable of that the expectation I have of myself the standards that I thought I had to meet not even Jesus would have them. O- have those of me so the beauty of this story is that Jesus did it himself so that I don't have to what I was trying to hold on to and do on my own. He did for me. But you now may be thinking, does Jesus have something against rich people? (laughs) Um, So yeah, back to verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You may be similar to me, but I remember when I first heard this passage, I thought it was something to do with the impossibility of a camel passing through the eye of a sewing needle. So I was like, can I not have a good job or something? Or, But um, the more I've understand, the actual metaphor is far more beautiful and more relevant to the rich young ruler. The eye of the needle was a narrow gateway into Jerusalem. Since camels were heavily loaded with goods and riders, they would have to stoop down and need to be unloaded in order to pass through. Jesus knew this man's heart had been clouded by the thing he loved the most, which was money. His security was money, his status was money, his pride was his money by Jesus asking him to sell all his things Jesus was inviting him to actually let go and unload like the camels at the eye of the needle all the baggage that he had been carrying and ultimately had been consuming him his love of money and that offer of a life to be free from all of that verse 21 Jesus looked at him and loved him Jesus loved this guy. He wanted more for him. He wasn't wasn't asking him to sell his money for him. He was telling him because he loved him. See, my story at its core is a story of trying to get my security in my own ability. I loved my own ability, holding on to my good works. But it clouded my heart. I thought that my ability would be enough See, a life of religion looks good on the outside, and it makes you feel good for a while, but actually there's nothing going on under the surface. But Jesus wanted to free me from that. See, it's funny, when I actually started to read the Bible, I found out a lot. My religiousness, rule keeping, it steered me away from these house parties, but actually I found out that Jesus was the heart of those parties. And he was bringing the wine. You may be holding on to a job. Or holding out for the next promotion. You may put your security in a house. Or the outcome of your degree. But Jesus' invitation to follow him. Is all about unloading that stuff. Particularly if it consumes you. Jesus wants to carry you instead. See my old way of thinking was. Jesus came to earth just to die. Yes, like that is a massive part of his mission, and it's it's the most beautiful love story ever told. But he also came to earth to teach us how to live. The life of Jesus, someone once said, is scandalous grace, reckless love, abundant generosity, overwhelming compassion, an unquenchable hunger and thirst for righteousness and justice a preferring of the least, the last, and the lost. This invitation that Jesus holds out to this guy, this young ruler, and he held out to me, was to follow him, to live like him, to live with him, and live for him. This honestly is the most truest form of freedom I have ever experienced and ever come to know. So with open hands, for the greatest adventure, rather than holding on with a clenched fist to my ticket. Thanks, James. Amazing stuff.